if we have a strong essence and a strong body and a strong will and a strong passion, we have the opportunity to not be without pain and suffering, but to potentially get through it and to optimize the difficulties and turn them into opportunities. So therefore you live a life that overcomes those things. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello. Hi. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you. 2019, we're 30 years old. It's true. I'm 31, baby. I'm 31 and I'm more beautiful than ever. <laughs> I'm wearing pants that I've... I actually wrapped. love this look on you. It's a really good look. You guys I see love it. this look. One word to describe me. It's me though. Chic. <laughs> I'm wearing thick wool socks from my dad, old sneakers, joggers that have stains all over them. And I have... They're too big. So I had to tie it up with a rubber band. So they have like a big knot in the front. And then my sweater has a big hole right by the nipple. Oh, I thought that was... Bought that way. No. <laughs> big hole right by the nipple. And my jacket's peeling because it's so cheap. <laughs> the jacket is giving me the jacket all is the feels. feels. The jacket is vibes. <laughs> this jacket is so vibes. But hey, you, know what, it, black you know what it says? You what? know what it says? Cheap. I'm vegan. It does. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> it so does because these shoulders should be... Because it's like should be leather. leather so it's like it's doing I, something. It's just, just weird how it happened all of a sudden. Yeah. I leave a... <laughs> Justin, Justin always says it. He's like, you leave a trail wherever you go of something. <laughs> Turmeric. It's true. Peeling jackets. Yeah. Crumbs. Smell. We solved that mystery, but that was a mystery. That, that was a mist. mystery. Mm-hmm. I have turmeric all over my house. <laughs> I got it on my favorite sweater too when I was at oh, Justin's. Oh no. His mom was like having a fit. That you got turmeric on the sweater? Well, she just wanted to get it out. Oh. You know. When moms want to do what moms do best... They will not stop at anything, especially when it comes to laundry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think she washed it four times. Oh, I was like, I don't even really care about that sweater. (laughs) Like at all. My mom does so many loads of laundry when we're home. And I almost wanted to say, which I'm so appreciative of. I wanted to say, we should save some water. I know. (laughs) Justin was like washing one thing because he could. I'm like, you shouldn't do that. Like just because you can doesn't mean you shouldn't. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. I I went downstairs to put something in the wash and my dad's underwear was just like folded there. I'm like like, memories. Been there forever. Justin got so much underwear for Christmas. Praise. Praise. Boys do not get new underwear ever. Praise. They wait until their balls are hanging out a hole. Honestly. (laughs) I'm like, you need this. That's what I said. I'm like, what's going to happen when your parents stop buying you underwear and Socks. You have to buy it for him. Buy that for you. My mom bought it for my dad forever. Yeah, I remember it like made me mad when I was little. Oh, like dad deserves more than underwear. 
Oh, <laughs> I would. I'd be sad. I'd be like, oh, mom's the worst. But like now I get it. Yeah. I'm like, oh. Because they wouldn't get it themselves. Because they wouldn't. And it's more like on my dad. <laughs> it's like he's incapable of did buying he, himself. Did underwear. he act surprised every year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, oh, this is the underwear. And my mom would be like. <laughs> I was talking to. to so my, predictable. To top dollar tea. My mom about New Year's resolutions. I was like, oh, uh, you know, just like having fun. I'm like, what's your New Year's resolution? And she's like, mm, well, haven't really thought about it. But probably something for my health. And I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to get uh-huh. somewhere. I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. more vegetables or something. She's like, you know, I probably just just don't want to go in the hospital again. And I don't want to die. Last year was really hard. <laughs> I mean, that's a start. It's a start. I was like, you know what? It's, hey, same. This is an aerial, aerial view. Yeah, honestly, I was like, you know what? Same. Because my mom actually was like in the hospital a lot yeah. last year. But hey, yeah, she ain't now. And I'm not making fun of that, but no. saying that you don't want to die is your New Year's resolution. Hmm. A lot of people have a fear of death. Why? I don't know. I know. But there's nothing worse than living. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> it is painful. Do you know what I times. mean? It's painful at times. It's a tight shoe, baby. It's a tight shoe. You got to <laughs> whip it off. <laughs> It's a tight ass shoe. Oh my God. Last night I was in um, Kundalini yoga and uh, we were like all, there was this, so they did an hour and a half chant Mm -hmm. for, so 90 minute chant, specific chanting before I got there. So there was like a bunch of people already in the Uh room. I know they do that all the time. Yo. And there was a woman that had her little spot set up in the corner and she had a little girl who was probably like four in the corner with her and her little girl had like a little blanket and like toys and stuff. And so they stayed for this one. So And they stayed after too. I don't know how long that they were there, but they stayed for the class, which was an hour. And at the end, we're doing some... I actually didn't never heard the song and I can't repeat it, but it was like a chant of some sort, which I was singing during the time because it's repetitive, so you can sing it. But then it's like, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, HUD, HUD, HUD. And then the little girl was like, we'd be, everyone would be like, HUD, HUD, HUD. And she'd be like, HUD, HUD. <laughs> Head. It was like, I like wanted to, to like bash my head on the floor. It was so cute. Oh. And she'd say it 30 seconds late. Like we'd all be like moved on. She'd be like, HUD, HUD, HUD. I was like, oh my God, how how cute. It was so cute. Come on. Also, shouldn't have your child at Kundalini for five hours a day. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, is this just a special occasion for the new year or what? Honestly. Hey, don't be alarmed by my sweater. I'm not alarmed. It's not as low to the nipple as you I know. said. I put my nipple out of it this morning. I was like, Justin, does this make you horny? Like, if you saw a girl like this, would you be horny? He's like, no. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm like, what about this? Like, what if you just saw my butt crack? Oh, <laughs> would you be horny? <laughs> He's like, no. He says no every time. I need to know exactly what makes people horny. So I Honestly. Can... <laughs> I'm like... Like, if you saw the tip of my nipple coming out of my sweatshirt, would you be horny? He's like, no. That'd be a great, like, nude. Like, if you're at the office and you're just like... You just did, like, one little square. (laughs) I was like, oh, so funny. Oh, my God. I had to tell you. So, we talked about this a little bit um, in the group chat, but the the troll in the secret Facebook group... Oh. There wasn't a troll, but there was someone that got accepted to the group and... 
said some two there was like a few things they said were wild it wasn't mean to anyone it wasn't negative to anyone or anything like that it was just kind of wild mm-hmm. yo the girls in our group are <laughs> kill me kill me they actually like kill me so this girl says something real wild it's like pretty sexual it was like very sexual like like you pay someone in a chat room to say this kind of shit to you and the girls in our group are literally so non-judgmental. They're like, that's amazing. I'm, you, you go, girl. They're like, I'm so glad you said this. <laughs> and then like a lot of them were like, oh my God, I've done this too, but never wanted to say it. Like, honestly, there was like 50 supportive ass, kind, non-judgmental comments to this like person that probably lives outside the country that is like scheming for being a creep. Wow. It was the funniest thing. And there was like, they commented on someone's thing. They're like, make sure you orgasm. Oops, sorry. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And like people were like liking that. it because they were just being sweet. Like literally there was like, <laughs> I was like, you guys, like nothing cracks you. <laughs> nothing. Like even like an internet troll will not crack you guys and make you like judgmental. I wonder what it was. Hmm. I mean, we were... Oh, like who? Yeah. Or yeah, I like know. What the intention to about. was. I know. I'm like, who would... Because it's hard. It's hard on our end to to moderate and mo- or monitor because, you know, we don't... It, there's not like... There are rules of the group, quote unquote, yep. but we want all different types of people. But like when you make comments... <laughs> Yo. That's what I showed you, you guys, like, the comment. And I draw was like, oh, somewhere. this girl's going in. At the comment, I was kind of like, all right. I was like, she's going in, but I want to keep an eye on it because it was like mm-hmm. borderline. Yeah. Where it wasn't... It, it would be something that you would maybe text your husband and say, you know, mm-hmm. or like partner, boyfriend, mm-hmm. girlfriend, whatever. You'd text your partner, say in private, and you probably wouldn't tell a group of 8,000, 9,000 strangers. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was like... It was so wild. I was literally dying. I'm like, you guys are fucking hilarious. And then there was like one person a month or so ago, this girl was like, help, I have this like crazy toe fungus. There was like 80 comments. 80. I saw that. I was like, you guys go so hard on toe fungus. <laughs> I've got some input. <laughs> and also, use tea tree oil. <laughs> no, I love, I mean, I love the group for that. It's insane. I feel very safe saying whatever the fuck, but literally. we also are very protective. Yes. And so we want to make sure that the conversations we're having and the commenting is, <laughs> I don't know, just not, not about, you know, labia and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just a borderline because you're like, I'm cool and I'm open, but also... Well, once I saw that comment, I was like, all right, what's happening here? And like, everyone was like, cool. I was like, all right, cool. And then I saw, and I searched the name because I wanted to just see what was happening. And there was like another post that was like borderline like that. And then I forget what it said. It was just, it was like still, it was wild. And then there was comments being made on other posts that were like kind of wild too. So I was like, all right. Gotta make an exact, exact, exact decision. Literally, I was like, all right, Amanda. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> and then we blocked her. Him. Whatever. Who knows? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. We don't know if it's a guy. I don't yeah, I don't know who you are. Well, I'm trying to think like what yeah, I mean, yo, some some perv is like at home, like I wonder if that would turn them on more that the girls like if you were a perv and you created an account 
to join a group and you said that, I wonder if it turns you on more when people are scared of you because you're that fucked up. Or if it turns you on more that everyone's being so sweet and supportive. I know. <laughs> they're like, no, this is not what yeah, I want. Honestly, they're like, be scared. It's literally like softens their boner. Exactly. <laughs> like when people are like, wow, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. Good for you. <laughs> like everyone's literally like, good for you. Sounds great. Keep it up. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I. And then also recently, I've been thinking about, and we've kind of experienced where people are borderline inappropriate with us in person. Oh, and then I'm not, an gonna get, I'm not going to get too specific, but we had a meeting and um, the person was just acting a little bit... It was the first time we were meeting them. And try to think. it was a man and he was, um, he was gay. And there was just a lot of inappropriate con- comments. Oh, honey. There was a lot of inappropriate comments. Honey. And, and, and it wasn't... It wasn't directed towards us, but the fact that these Mm-mm. this conversation was happening was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And because it was the first time meeting and it was, you know, kind of a quote unquote important meeting. And we were nervously laughing the whole time. At least I was nervous. I uh, I I had to replay in my head what the fuck was going on. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like what was like it, yo, he, like the when he started talking about like m- like murdering someone and then it was like a joke about like, it was just like, what? Yeah. And I was just like, how did you get here, man? You know what I mean? How the fuck did you get to where you are speaking like this? It's also an old, he's older. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot rich of things- shit. W- Rich as shit. Rich as shit. Made oh, sure we knew. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing. That's actually one of my top five pet peeves of all time. Hundred. Uh, if you give me numbers about personal things in your life, I'm out. Yep. Um, but it was. I, I think for so long in certain industries, there was a pass for a lot of people. Yes. And now, obviously, with the whole Me Too movement and beyond, it is not allowed to fly. However. And we were just having this conversation about what if he was straight and commenting on things like that. Yeah. To just two women. So it was just a really interesting thing to think about. Hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. I just it was uncomfortable. Want to be quicker? I guess I was. I was too busy. I was processing because I couldn't believe it wasn't sexist necessarily. It wasn't racist necessarily. It was just wild. And I had no idea what he was saying. So it's not like I could even say something, but besides like look uncomfortable and kind of like continue to steer the conversation back to what I wanted to fucking talk about. What is going on? <laughs> like a half hour of our meeting was about that. It was like us sitting there like dolls. I think it's a good lesson. Yeah. For sure. Where, like you said, I want to be quicker yeah. I want to direct the a conversation. Presence. I'm I'm down to have a good time and laugh and, and kind of like fuck around in a meeting for yes. like half of it. That's fine. And make fun of myself. But just so long as we get around to it and it feels productive and connected, it just felt one-sided, you know? So... <laughs> and that's the thing with like more women becoming executives, more women in government and more women in leadership roles is that like, 
you don't see a woman coming in saying inappropriate shit like that. Do you know what I mean? Like I've literally been to hundreds of meetings at jobs and I have never one time had a female walk into a room and say something that made anyone uncomfortable. Not that I'm saying it doesn't happen because it definitely does. It does, yeah. It does all the time. I personally have never had that experience. It happens all the time, I'm sure. But in my experience, it's always been men that have said something that has could make someone uncomfortable in the room. Sometimes I feel like they're testing the waters. I think they so, just want to make people laugh. Like, you don't even a laugh, it's like a cheap laugh. Yeah. But if they can get away with a laugh that's a little inappropriate and we laugh, then they're like, okay, next level. Totally. <laughs> Here we go. Like Dick jokes coming Yeah, literally. You're like, haha, I want to fuck in the bathroom. What? <laughs> You're like, well, maybe. Yeah, literally. <laughs> last, yeah, that was wild. Last point about women kind of moving up and becoming executives. I was having a brief conversation with uh, someone in my, you know, uh, relative stratosphere. family. Stratosphere. And um, they were mentioning that it was kind of tiring that unqualified women were becoming executives are higher ups just because they're women. Yeah, totally, totally. But then I, so I said- That's white white men's favorite fucking conversation. Truly. And I said, well- It's unfair. Yeah. And, or they're like, I'm just tired of the yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm tired of it. And I said, well, oh my God. the problem is that women who- perhaps want to be in this industry that you're in or in that position don't have the example set for them for years and years. Like it it just hasn't happened. So where do we start? You know, you have to. And hopefully she will have the support of the men and women around her to really succeed. And maybe it won't be perfect, but it has to start somewhere. You know, it real like there has to be an example for young girls who are 16 and and thinking about their career, like, oh wow, she did that. Or, you know, like mm-hmm. it has to start somewhere. And it's not gonna be like perfect. Like these it, it, they're navigating it for the first time. And by the way, some of like their strategy or tactics might be a hundred times better than you've been doing it for the last 50 years. So move over for a second. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it was just an interesting and I wasn't like heated. I was just, and, and they proceeded to say, oh, wow, I didn't think about it like that. Good. You know, that there wasn't, there's an example, Mm. but I was also trying to understand how they were feeling. Uh And I think it's an intimidation, insecurity, and then men always want it to be right. So if they're not, fully qualified for the job, they shouldn't get it. You know, like there's this rightness. And I don't know, you got to leave room for things to change and Mm. evolve. With that stuff, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like you're literally watching the fucking news and you're tired. Like you're literally not on the front lines. You're not doing shit. You know what I mean? To actually like be a part of the conversation that's happening. So it's like always so annoying. It's like, you're literally a robot sheep and you're repeating what someone else is telling you that they're tired. You know, like, what are you tired of? Like, 
the women are tired of like being led by these like old men reptiles. Said it. Reptiles. Get ready. <laughs> Half of our episodes in 2019 is going to be yeah. about the reptilian yeah, race. Honestly, <laughs> just I had to drop it. It's like slowly going to happen. Hopefully, this episode gets on iTunes. Anyway, <laughs> always got to worry about it. Episode today. Oh man, we have Darren Olean. Darren Olean is on the podcast. Um, he is the superfood hunter. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you've heard. Not sure if you've heard. Also, barucas, which we talk about, are my favorite snack to travel. Freaking bomb. They're the best. Like, yeah. I love them. Like, they're, and this is, yo, this is not sponsored. Mm-hmm. They are better for the environment. They're part of like a process that is sustainable and they're so good. They have fewer calories than most nuts. I I, I love them. Yeah. They're the only nut I'll eat right now. They're delicious. Yeah. Like I can eat a whole bag. It's 150 calories when that for anything else would be like 250, 300. I'd say it's the perfect plain food. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dry, can travel with it. Mm-hmm. I eat it all the time. Um, Darian is also the author of Super Life. Uh so he gives you five simple fixes that will make you healthy, fit, and eternally awesome. I think it is about the simplifying, mm. which is cool about Darren. You know, it's not about these complicated programs or diets or whatever. I He really breaks it down simply so that we can start today. Yep. He is so knowledgeable about sustainability, about the environment, about creating um, healthy companies and healthy products for, you know, us as the people that are purchasing them for the consumers and also for the growers and the farmers. Um, So he has a wealth of knowledge and experience. He's been in the health food industry for a long, long time. And he was just so such a gem. It was so great to have him on the podcast and kind of share information about his new book, Super Life, and then about um, Baruchas, which we know and love. Yeah. And I just want to mention... We recorded this uh, just a little while ago, but since then, uh, Darren lost his home in the mm-hmm. Malibu fire. So we just send our love. Yeah, his beautiful home that Darren. we talked about. Yeah. He it, has this beautiful land plot with his beautiful home in Malibu that he felt so deeply connected to. And unfortunately, his was one of the the places that was affected by the fires, mm-hmm. which is tragic. But his dog is okay. So Ugh. that's... That's good. Um, We love you, Darren. Thank you for being on. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much uh, for all of your rating and reviewing that has been going on recently. We'll share a review on the other side of this Mm -hmm. episode, but it really means so much to us. And we just started our Your Podcast program and it's been incredible. We have an incredible group, but just so you know, if you have a podcast or maybe thinking about starting a podcast, we do have separate resources on yourpodcastpro.com that you can download separately. And I think, I know they will be very useful to you. Yes. All right, guys. Enjoy. Do you think there's ghosts at your house? We're on, by the way. Yes. Well, I mean, I, I think, listen, when I went there the first day, this is what I did. I went around going, what's the problem? Why is no one, oh, why course. am I here? And yeah. how yeah. is it that that this is even yeah. possible? Mm-hmm. I got the tour. When's the shoe going to drop? How is this 50 acres? What's going on? I put my hand, I literally just realtors are around me. I put my hand on the ground and I just sat there and just felt it. And I was like, oh my God, 
Mm. I could feel it. It was like this relationship. And so I'm like, okay, then I'm going to do everything physically possible in my reality. It's not going to be on me. It's got to be a lot bigger than me for me Mm. not to get this place. So I'm going to do everything and work my ass off to get it. And I did. Wow. And it was hard. Why? It was was old place. Mm -hmm. It was 50 acres. So the banks and all that stuff, they look at, okay, if everything goes south, we're buying land, a lot of land with Uh. a house. So what's the land worth? What's the house worth? What's all of that stuff? And then... And it was just old, mm-hmm. but it's charming and old and just needed a little love. And um, and then, you know, I got extorted at the end from this the divorcee of the, mm-hmm. of the guy who was selling the house, the trustee. Like, it was so gnarly. And it was one of those things like, how bad do you want it? Yeah, it was a test. Like that energy of like, okay, you felt that, but I'm going to spit a bunch of people out if you, if that person's not showing up and being a part of this thing. Cause I'm like, I don't own that place. There's a full on huge mountain lion, a male and a female that frequent. And you don't see mountain lions. Yeah, I know oh. foresters that have been in the, in the, in the deal for 30 plus years and they've never even seen a mountain lion. And I've seen one four times. Do you think they're friendly? Mm-hmm. Or like, are you scared of them? Like, what is? I mean, you uh, you definitely. I, I guess you have to be scared. Of them. I mean, they look they look at you, and you know, there's that moment mm-hmm. where you're like, "What's going to happen?" Right. And then it's it's uh, you know, it's that thing where if you're putting off fear or anger or I'm going to dominate you, then that you're just you're just turning on their fight gene. So I I respect I just go complete respect zone. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I got a machete and I got a dog <laughs> and I don't, I don't hike without a machete. And I, wow. you know, and I listen to the birds when they change their songs and I, I start to vibe it out. And so there's times where I felt the mountain lion and then sure enough, there it was. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's, in two years I've seen it three or four times. Have you, do you get worried about your dog ever? When he's with me, he's with me. Uh-huh. Like he's here. Yeah. Like he, like he's, he's loyal to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely wants to go protect and he, he lunged a little bit and I called him off, but he's, you know, he doesn't run around on his own. He does. That's not a German shepherd. They, they like to be close with the master and, you know, not master out of I'm dominant, but but there is an alpha order Mm -hmm. that you have to, you have to set really quickly with a German shepherd. When they're a puppy. Yeah. And they'll test you. Test, 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 because they'll want to be in. It's like a child, right? A child will test you until like, what's the line? If you don't show me the line, I'm gonna can, I'm gonna run all over you. Mm-hmm. It's like so. guys. No, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Dogs, children, and guys. Give them an inch. <laughs> Give them an inch. Give them an inch. Um, well, Darren, Olean, we're so excited to have you here. Olean. Olean. Oh wait. That's okay. No one knows that. It's Fuck. a. It's a. Remember, Olin? Has, has everyone done that a, to you? It's a Norwegian thing. Oh. So we came over and it was Aileen. It was Aileen. double A L I E N. Okay. Which, when you come to America in English, it's alien. 
<laughs> so true. <laughs> so they are like, well, true, but yeah, we'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still some Oleans in Norway, and I don't know how that Oleen. happened, but they they definitely changed it. So got it. There Thank we go. You. So, your, did your family come over? That was a couple of generations okay, ago. Okay. Yeah, okay. my grandmother came over in a covered wagon, crossed the Dakotas, and fed Indians and stuff when she was she was young. Really? And then, yeah, it was cool. Wow. She verbally told us that story and then wrote it down, and I have it. Wow. Yeah, pretty neat. That's probably where you got your love of nature. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that's incredible. So we'd love for you to introduce yourself to our audience oh uh, for God. those of them to, that do not know you. How do I do that? Okay. I mean, there's uh, so much, but I'm excited. Uh, well, hey, um, you know, years ago, I was given the title, given, mm-hmm. and created my own superfood hunter. So that's part of what I do. Uh, I run around the planet looking for herbs, nuts, fruits for the simple reason of getting greater nutrients to people and transparently doing it uh, with indigenous people directly and understanding the transparency of how that is. I come from a small town in Minnesota. I come from a father that was an agricultural professor at the University of Minnesota. So I come from kind of the blue collar roots and look people in the eye. So when I started, you know, I have a undergrad degree in physiology and nutrition, a master's in psychology. And the nutrition and physiology part came by way of getting hurt playing college football. Uh, in and Minnesota? That, yeah. So then I it, it depressed me. And then I coming out of that, uh, I said, hey, why don't I study? What a concept. Why don't I study the thing that I enjoy? And then I got so curious about it, started digging into that stuff. And then I started looking at food systems. I started looking at nutrients. And then I started, well, these not these aren't normal. And I started seeing how people didn't really do that well uh, from a manufacturing standpoint, from a formulation standpoint. And so I just started doing it myself. And then in that, the ethics and the morality of that I just didn't see another way of not showing up to a country of origin, not going to the Amazon, not going to the mountaintops uh, in the jungles and everything in between of of the things that I was interested in, Mm. of the herbs, of the botanicals. And so that's how it happened. And so in that pursuit, I've met a lot of people in the sustainable world. I've met a lot of people doing good things around the planet. Met a lot of cool functional doctors uh, working in similar spaces. So my main goal really is, I mean, it's it's funny that my book is actually super life, but really when you dig under my DNA of why I do what I do is I want, I literally want people to live uh, as great as they decide to, to live. And my point of view is because I suffered as a kid, I was too three, three and a half pounds when I was born. Wow. Mm. So I had some complications. And so when, when I uh, realized that DNA of, or, or really that the, the world as we know it is kind of dangerous and, and tough and uh, I was vulnerable. So, so that part of it uh, for me was workout. I got stronger when I was a kid eat better. It affected me, my brain, my health. And then that got in me, right? So that kind of idea of like, oh, this isn't set. 
I don't have to run around being vulnerable and uh, frail and fragile and sick and all of these things. You have so, you can do something about it. So that whole the whole idea is if we have a strong essence and a strong body and a strong will and a strong passion, we have the opportunity to not be without pain and suffering, but to potentially get through it and to optimize the difficulties and turn them into opportunities. So therefore you live a life that overcomes those things and therefore gets you on a mountaintop. And it's like Mm. a hard hike on a mountain. Well, if you stop, you never get to see the view. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of my DNA. I just, uh, I just want to do, I just sound so, I don't want to sound so like, you know, I don't want to, that is what fuels me. It's not Mm -hmm. without scars. It's not without pain. It's not without, you know, an alcoholic father screaming at me, giving me a a scar on my chin. Like Mm -hmm. when I say all this, it comes by way of, I see suffering. I've suffered. People suffer. Let's minimize the suffering. Let's strengthen the body in a great way. It makes a lot of sense because we all know when we're not feeling great, mm-hmm. what's what kind of stops you at your ability to dream and live a life if you're on the couch and you're tired and miserable. So underneath all that, I like to get out some of the great botanicals in the world so that they can do the thing that they've been doing for 10 to 20,000 years. And uh, that's one of my my curiosities and my uh, adventures that I like to go on. So anyway, that's a very long no, intro to, to myself. For the, the superfood, so the superfood thing and the superfood hunter, I could. I feel like I've. I'm from Ohio, so yeah, kind of like awesome. similar. Mm-hmm. And I've only become privy to them in the past five, ten years, or maybe it's become a buzzword that I've been familiar with. But I can imagine if you started in college around that time, was it called superfoods? And were you were you just noticing a trend or pattern in certain types of foods in the way that they affected your body or was it within your research? Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, uh, good question. I think uh, when I, at 13, I read something, I don't know how, an article in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune, uh, which was one of my first jobs, actually, a paper boy. Uh, <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah, and I saw this grapefruit cleanse and my mom didn't even know it. You get asked her to this day and she has no idea. But she got a bunch of grapefruits and all I ate was grapefruits. It was like a few days of just grapefruits. And it was the first time at 13 in mid in Minnesota. Minnesota yeah. Those grapefruits, uh, who knows where they came from? Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? They're glowing. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> Glyphosate, glow, blob. Uh, just kidding. Uh, so, so it was a first real time that I felt so significantly different in my body and my brain. Because I was downing five to six bottles, old-fashioned bottles of Coke, uh, you know, just self-medicating. Uh, you know, this—I don't know if I was ADD or ADHD or whatever it is—but I was—I had a resting heart rate at one point of 120 beats per minute. Oh my god! So I had some thyroid shit. I had some stuff that I was. So, so the your back to your point. So, or your question was that that was some of the first kind of conscious and unconscious 
experiences that I had. And then I picked up a dumbbell because I felt weak and I was 16, weighing 135 pounds. And then all of a sudden I started getting stronger and packing on muscle and everyone looked at me different. And then I started performing better in athletics. And and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, there's a lot more we can do here than just, okay, Mm -hmm. this is my life, my parents, and this is where I live and da-da-da-da-da, and this is how I feel. And this is, uh, so, so really in that, and then I wasn't necessarily looking at superfoods out of mm-hmm. college. I I was I was definitely interested in, you know, physiology class and kinesiology and seeing how the body worked and and then nutrition, you're like back there then we were like it's 60 to 70% carbs and like no. it was just all of the stuff and I was like I I was eating I swear to god I was eating in college 13 bagels a day. <laughs> That's like me on football Sunday. Every day. I'd (laughs) go down. I found a little Jewish bakery down in St. Paul. I'd drive my motorcycle down there. I'd pick up the fresh batch. And because we did the nutritional analysis on them, just from a macro perspective, like clueless at the time, I'm like, oh, it's perfect. It's like 65% carbs. So that's all I was like. Oh my God. So I just ate them all day. And then I had regular meals. Anyway, so... So it wasn't like I was looking into stuff then, but at a certain point, I uh, once I graduated, I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I was dealing with some, I went back to school, did some rehabilitation stuff, working one-on-one with people uh, from a physiological standpoint, then doing some nutritional counseling. And then you start seeing like this lifestyle side of it. And then I was fascinated with kind of people's consciousness around it. So then mm-hmm. I went back to school the, from a psychological standpoint and, and that intersection of like, and then through my twenties, like experimenting. And then I did ayahuasca when I was, it was in the nineties. And, and that- How'd you hear about it? Got a guy at a, a guy at the gym. Man. Really? Yeah. It was this weird dude. Yeah. And in the mountains of Boulder. And I had never- done a drug in my life i had barely gotten well i'm sure i've gotten drunk but of course i did but i was in college i did Mm -hmm. college i went through college but uh so ayahuasca i just knew it It, like the plant spoke to me but i wouldn't have said it then i just knew i was going to do it so i did it and then not i don't want to make this about ayahuasca because that's too big of a topic to get into but it, it revealed something very clear to me and and obviously in that pursuit I was formulating with stuff. I was playing with stuff and I just thought it was a hobby of mine. And I was giving it to people and giving it to, you know, try this, try this and playing with formulas. And, and then I lost my father in 2005. I had, so I moved out to California. I lost my, two, my father in 2005. And then that was really kind of the, for lack of a better way of saying it, the man fully showed up in me. And it, and it was basically like, Quit messing around. Not that I won't be silly and crazy and fun and all of that stuff, but the the fully integrated passion, purpose, person inside of me, clear, knowing what I'm here to do, at least at least the start of it. That was then instead of, you know, dabbling around with this stuff, I need to really own it. I need to own what I'm seeing. I need to own what I'm finding. And then that's when I really started traveling and I really started seeing the stuff. And then I just 
I come back with a hundred things that no one's ever heard of. And then I was like, I got to bring this stuff out in the world. This is crazy. I literally feel like I'm discovering something. We never discover anything. It's already discovered. It's mm-hmm. rediscovering. And our feeble little minds, our egos love to think that we discovered it, but it's not. It's mm-hmm. it's just a, a, a reinvigoration sometimes of herbs that have been, you know, losing uh, the fight of culture and stuff like that. And a great friend of mine, Dr. Michael Ballack, he's probably just going to plug him because he's one of the greatest living ethnobotanists of our time and has single-handedly saved cultures and uh, uses of medicinal plants around the world. And he's he's just a, a master. Michael Ballard. Michael Ballack. Ballack. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about the cultures and working with the indigenous people and making sure that what you're doing is responsible and transparent and also like an equal energy exchange. Yeah. Like I, sorry, it's a loaded question. That and also like the energy and food. I've been yeah. thinking about that a lot lately, just in, you know, what I'm putting in my body and like the actual vibration of the food. So can you speak more to that? Yeah, which one do you want me to hit first? I'll hit the first part first. There's so many sexy ways to talk about working with indigenous people. And then you say the right things like, oh, they're indigenous people. Oh, it's fair trade. Oh, it's vertically integrated. It's a, but in truth, it's not easy. It's, you know, you come into a situation and there has never been a situation. And I've been in corners of places that I definitely perhaps may be the one of the only white people that certain people have seen. And I don't want to dramatize that because that's not in every case. But often, mostly, people have been burned by someone who looks like me, right? And they've overpromised, underdelivered, probably naive. Because I earlier in my career, I was naive too. I was like, "Oh my God, let's get that out there." Mm-hmm. And what they walk away going, "He's gonna get it out there." And I have no idea. I haven't mm-hmm. established any marketplace for this new thing. Like I have no idea. And I have a story to that, but it's it's too long to get into. But so every culture, every village has got their own. Uh, way of doing things and their own understanding of that, and uh, and that's 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 time. That's that's just a you have to meet and sit down with people. That's just number one. Like that's just a must. That's from my point of view. If you want to any supplement company or any uh, food company, if you're not eyeballing the people that that are curing and growing and harvesting and processing and handling your food and supplements, then good luck because you don't know what you're getting. I've seen the best quote unquote standards on paper and you're going, you're in the facility going, there's literally bird poop that's falling in. Like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't matter what the, FDA this and GMP and all those things are important. They have to be in place, but they have to be visualized and 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 worked on. And so anyway, so it can be everywhere from in Africa sitting around a tribe and meeting with the presidents of a said tribe and so hey, this is what we're thinking about doing and 
is it cool? And what do you need for it? And how does it work? And how do you want to work with your, this, this group of people? And then it's, you know, like with, with the Baruca project, we were like uh, all over Brazil in a landmass the size of three states of Texas, and then also bleeding into Brazil and, uh, or excuse me, Bolivia. So, and every one of those fractions of indigenous people are different. And they're also, here's the other side, they're also human. So there's there's people that have extorted, there's people that have taken, there's people that have only had interest for themselves. There's political stuff. Mm. I mean, so it's, so it's not like they're infallible to having human skin and the same throws. In fact, when they're dealing with you know, we can go down to the grocery store and get our food. They sometimes have to live day to day and survive. So when you show up with a solar panel in Africa, they don't necessarily see the long-term benefits of that. They strip it down on the wires and then sell the copper wires today, right now. So, so you're dealing with this thing that, and you can't give them a bunch of money that's over and above what they can perceive and receive. So you have to figure out through many, many, many meetings of all people what is what is fair that they've gotten paid and what is incentives that we can lay into it that reward them in ways that they haven't been rewarded before. For example, on the Baruka thing, we, we figured out what the fair wage was. They're all happy. It wasn't winning the lottery. But if you do this, if you pick these up that are all wild collected, we will pay you for the lifetime of that tree. We will pay you for the next 20, 30 years. So we're creating value back in something that you're staring at every day instead of you being seduced by the cattle company uh, who want to whack it down and, and have the cattle graze on it or plant unsustainable corn and soy uh, and ruin your land. So, so it's, it's hard to straight up answer that. So, so you can have all the buzzwords and stuff and you can do all that stuff, but, and that's great. And I think you have to work with these people. I think the supply is king and those kings are the farmers and the collectors and the people. And, and if that isn't solid, it's just a ticking time bomb. It's just not going to work out. And it's hard to you spend all this time marketing here in the States and doing all this stuff and raising money and capital and all that stuff. And then you haven't spent enough time with the people and having relationships. Uh, it's just not responsible mm-hmm. from my point of view. So, and that's spending, spending a lot of time in those situations. And now, you know, that's just the way I'm going to do it. And it may not be as fast and might not be as easy. That's just the way going to be done but it's sustainable yeah yeah for sure can you talk a little bit about like what you're going up against in brazil specifically as it relates to farming and like because i know in the meat industry that's where most of the cattle are that's where they're using most of the land so can you talk a little bit about that yeah the sahara has been wiped out faster than any biome in the last 40 years so all for those big ag reasons Uh, that's the scary thing so it's almost like no regard for the, the speciality of that ecosystem. There's mandates 
by Brazil that if you own land, you basically have to cattle graze. There's so much laws written in to, I mean, it's all about GDP, but they kind of position it so that you you can't be on that land unless you're indigenous and it's mm-hmm. worked, it's already in and you own the land or you're on it. But in terms of if we went out and bought the land, they would pretty much make you uh, do things that uh, are related to big farm, big ag, uh, unsustainable practice. I mean, it's all unsustainable. So it's a sad thing when you see the Sahadu, what is gorgeous and beautiful and and intimately related to the Amazon. Because the more unstable the southern part of Brazil is, which is most of the Sahadu, the more unstable that creates the Amazon. And the biomass of the Sahadu is below ground. Largely, if you kind of flip it upside down, it would be as plush, essentially, from a biomass perspective, as the Amazon. So when you're cutting it down, you're you're creating that much more destruction, less oxygen, more imbalance, uh, and it's being wiped out. So, so, so that is a so for us in like a mission. When you find something as delicious as the Baruca nut, and where there's no barrier essentially to to the marketplace, to people enjoying them and getting the nutrients and all that stuff, and then you see it anchored literally in the ability for us to drive that engine so that those people can rely on those trees that are endemic to the area. And so that is an inherent value back to them so that they don't have to take this other option. If there isn't an economic balance, a sustainability, if you don't create a business that's sustainable in terms of people buying that. It just can't work because we know so many NGOs that have thrown money at these people. We have a million dollars thrown out a chief uh, of a of 10,000 people. It's like, you know, pick, pick a family that we grew up with in mid- Midwest who makes $25,000 a year. Give them a million dollars. You know, that lottery reality mm-hmm. when people get that much and they don't have the financial muscle mm. to manage they will be further and deeper into unknown territory and often more depressed more unhappy and that's what you can't do to indigenous people so throwing ngo money at people is definitely not sustainable we feel like a, a the capitalism done transparently and effectively is one that it's rooted in us for in this example, planting more trees because the Sahara is being wiped out inherent within us selling the product. And we have to, there is no way we can do it without working directly with the people. Our business does not exist if we don't work directly with them. And for our point of view, it, we don't want to do it if it's not supporting the environment because I can do other things. I don't have to do this. 
So if I'm going to do it and all my partners are the same way, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And that's a great position to be in because there's a lot of, you know, things that aren't sustainable in a lot of companies. And in working so closely with these cultures, what have you seen to be the physical, mental, even like kind of spiritual benefits of of ingesting these types of superfoods? Like you've probably seen it firsthand. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like what you've seen from them using them for yeah. you know, centuries. Well, I mean, I think the first obvious one is the community around it, the ritual of, 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 you know, uh, I remember one of the first trips I took in 2003 or four, I was in 17,000 feet in the Andes of Peru. I'm at this little farming community and I wanted to see maca. There's nothing else that grew there. And when you sit down with them and you eat and they serve you different varieties of how they, how they make their food and how they prepare even maca and all that stuff. And you're, you're in, you're enjoying it from their perspective and they're telling old practices of how they dealt with, you know, spirits on the land and uh, what did they do wrong when a uh, uh, crop went wrong and, and how they, from an Incan perspective, how they dealt with it. So community is probably the first, the first kind of obvious thing the community that surrounds every that's why folklore around all of these plants are just massive it's just incredible like that's the that's the power so it's this community surrounding kind of these plants that um is is for me the most obvious and then there's a ceremonial aspect. I mean, we talked a little bit about ayahuasca. Obviously, that's a very intense, even before you drink, ceremonial preparation that you're doing to prepare, to prepare, number one, these two plants that are coming together to, to illuminate oneself. And then you have things like... Uh, you know, rhodiola and high in the sovereign area of Tibet and China and even up into Russia where you have to give a little just to get it. So it's getting stressed and it's under thing. It's one of the great adaptogens in the world. So the, the synergy of food and plants is so interesting that you can take this and the stress that it went under will give it, it will give that essence to you and thereby... What are these great adaptogens? How is it that they're under this stress and our bodies are symbiotic with it, right? So the, the maca mides and maca means and maca uh, help us uh, regulate our endocrine system. How is it that these kind of five forces or five flavors of schizandra that has been used in the traditional Chinese medicine for 10, 20,000 years that it works in five constitutions of our of ourself and our and our in our body, and like all of them are connected. Which is why I brought up Michael Ballack. Like he's intimately sitting down with you know forty fifty people throughout his career, and they're these people are dead, and that stuff would have been lost. And and it's all based in 
the ceremonial aspect of it. It's like preparing to receive something. It's like it's like anything. You can you can listen to someone and blow off what they're saying or actually listen to it and try it on. It's like anything. And the plants are kind of the same way. And yes, there's some real science behind it too. But, uh, you know, and that's kind of what I like to carry forward a little bit. And I'd love to, I'm horrible at it. I'd love to do a lot better and kind of show the transparent look at food and also uh, herbs and botanicals so that you can see like, where this stuff's really from and how how is it that a quality herb can make it to you effectively and that's kind of a interesting fun way i've been thinking about how to how could you effectively do that mm. and kind of like put a gopro on a i know you need a show <laughs> beyond youtube so what Food would network. what would someone living in ohio yeah. like where would they get rhodiola like you know what i Good mean question. like where yeah. could our listeners look to find some of these things that they can incorporate into their diet that have been through a healthy, sustainable supply chain. Yeah. Well, good. That's a, that's the question of a lifetime because I, I, I don't know some of these companies that are doing X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. and, and, and we try to have some watch groups out there and, you know, but it's hard. And, you know, American Botanical Council is a great organization. Mm-hmm. Mark Blumenthal, who's a, who's a friend, uh, uh, Chris Killam's a buddy who does a lot of work. He certainly has focused a lot of on ayahuasca and cannabis and, and CBD and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. But certainly from a big perspective, uh, American Botanical Council is great at least to start educating yourself and then it's hard to like, okay, rhodiola, but do I need it? And what is it good mm, for? Right. And that's kind of why I'm not, I'm not here to plug the book, but that's why when Harper Collins said, Hey, what superfood book do you want to write? And I said, I kind of want to write on a foundational approach to eating and lifestyle and things, because when you then come from that powerful position and then because there is no elixir that will solve your problems. Uh, there's certainly no drug. We know that. Uh, so it's a, it's a, and we know that too from Dan Buettner's work and Dr. Uh, Walter Longo and all these guys doing longevity studies that it is not one thing. It is a, a, a multitude of things. So my point of view is that take care of your foundational aspects, you know? And then when you, because you're going to take care of, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, 99% of your problems, if you're sleeping well, eating a lot of whole food, plant-based food, if you're uh, breathing well, Mm -hmm. drinking good water, getting hydrated, and a huge thing is having great relationships, people that support you, people that uplift you. And, and I would also say finding passions. Passions don't have to mean they're going to put money in your pocket, but living from a passionate perspective, we do know that it's a, it's a 
long-term good plan, not only in the moment, because we all know when you're passionate about something, you forget to eat, you're in the flow, you're in a flow state, whatever, like those types of things. And then obviously lowering stress, but also not just saying stress and people go, yeah, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't, but stress is hitting us on a lot other ways right? Which is why also adaptogens are great from that perspective. So stress from electromagnetic fields, which we're just in this massive experiment right now. We got Wi-Fi signals. We got all these electronics blasting us. Uh, we are electrical, by the way. Um, so we have a, you know, 70,000, 70 million cells, 70 trillion cells, and they're all batteries, right? And so acupuncture works trying to break up stagnation from our electrical system. Like we are conductive. So how is it that we're not affected by all this electromagnetic fields? Well, we are. So that's stressing us in a lot of different ways. The air quality, you know, that like 60 to 90,000 new toxins are being emitted in our atmosphere every year of that 10% are even tested. Right? So shit's raining down on us. So we're being stressed out in that way. Stuff in our water, weird stuff in our food. So we're under stress kind of all the time, which is a weird thing for us. So we have to get back to my point of view is just, you know, don't go freaky about it, but try to slowly eliminate and downregulate some of the stuff and then upregulate some of the habits, upregulate some of the, the water, the good water and sleep well and, you know, turn off the Wi-Fi when you go to sleep and all that stuff. So you mentioned um, breath work. I'd love to know mm. kind of how that has changed your life and in what way you incorporate that. Oh my gosh. That's been a big one. I know. So, you know, we all heard that through meditation and stuff like that, but I guess from an active person, it was finally when my buddy, Brian McKenzie, Laird Hamilton, we heard of this guy, Wim Hof, the Iceman. Now everyone knows of Wim. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started doing it years ago. And we we're like, oh, this is, this is performance-based. So re from a recovery standpoint to a preparation standpoint, and we just do these long, we, I went through his complete program, just tripping out and practicing from a performance standpoint. And then the result of that was I was having all these kind of lucid experiences from a deep meditative standpoint, just as, as a kind of off gassing of the, of the work. And then it just continued to evolve. Uh, you know, we got to know Wim. He, we spent some time with Wim. We did some other weird shit with him, with breathing. And then kind of up till now, I've been doing it constantly. I do it every day, every morning, it just activates my brain. But now, uh, Patrick McEwen wrote The Oxygen Advantage, got to know him, started doing that. Very, very important on nose breathing. Mm. We're the only mammals aside from a dog. Uh, and the dog needs to regulate body temperature, so mm -hmm. it has to breathe through the mouth. But we are the only ones aside from that dog that breathe through our mouth, and it keeps us in that stress state. So nose breathing, that exchange within the nose, 
uh, creates a natural nit- nitric oxide, which is a, a, a dilator that opens up blood flow and good for the brain and turns on pituitary and all of that stuff. So, and then helps to deal with kind of the buildup of CO2. And that's usually the impetus of, of needing to breathe. It's the buildup, not the lack of oxygen. Mm. So we've been experimenting with nose breathing and now it's changed my life completely. I, I work out with, with nose, nose breathing all the time and we do some breath holds on exhales and do a bunch of stuff. And then we do a lot of in the pool training over the last 10 years. Um, How long can you hold your breath? I don't know. It's okay. usually under stress. I didn't know if that was like one of the... It is, but we're usually doing something. Okay. okay. So it's usually involves some heavy weight pulling us down to the bottom of the pool okay, while we're funny. holding our breath. Or we'll do it on an exhale. So when you exhale and, then, and you start something, all the bells are going off already. Like, what the hell are you doing? Breathe. So then you're dealing with the underwater stuff is trippy because it's a you have to remain calm yeah and you can't freak out cuz you're 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 underwater number 1 and number 2 is you burn your oxygen really fast when you're stressed out so if like fighters any kind of boxers ufc guys big mm. weight trainers who come in the pool they really don't have a good time and it's hard for them to click into that okay, I got to do a very hard movement underwater and stay calm because that's, that's the only way I'm going to get through it. So, and then Laird and Gabby started this. Um, now they have certifications and things like that and they do groups and the, uh, I'm still one of the advisors on it, but uh, it's called XPT. So ex- extreme, I don't, I think it's still extreme performance training or whatever it is. But so that came out of a decade of us playing in the water and we still do that's one of the greatest workouts ever wow yeah do you know what the reasoning is for why you like the lucidity happens and why you like you're able to almost tap into visions and stuff mm-hmm. do you know what that is well it's way beyond my pay grade in yeah. terms of neuroscience but i i definitely know from a high dopamine perspective mm-hmm. and uh and almost tapping the door of creating natural DMT within the brain because of those doors that got opened with ayahuasca. It's oh, a, get to them it's a similar, mm-hmm. and, a, and that's where the kind of the cool part of it is. I don't need to do ayahuasca again. You only did like, it one time? Uh, no, I did. <laughs> He's like this but, weekend, one time. <laughs> yeah, I did it once, but the plant uh, is weird as it is. But if you've done ayahuasca, it's not weird. The mm-hmm. plant uh, very clearly said, and you, thanks for coming, basically, and you never need to take me again. And I didn't listen to that. Oh, so I got the, a weird experience. I had a really, really no. bad experience. Several. And I almost, it was almost a straitjacket thing. Like it wasn't, I wasn't high anymore. Right. I was, I was not functioning in this reality very well. And it was I'm really scared. bad. Well, I, I, I have the utmost respect. I, I, I come away with, I definitely am not a proponent of everyone needs to do ayahuasca and life would change. No, that's not true. There's a lot that goes on into that and a, and a lot and who's doing it and how they're doing it, and how you're prepared and your reason. 
Yeah, my, the intention. Yeah, my intention completely. The first one was a knowing on such a deep level. And I did it and had the greatest reveal ever. Moreover, it was just acknowledging self. So at the end of the day, it was a dramatic, sure, but it also wasn't. It was always there. Yeah. Because it's, because that's what it told me. And for the viewers, you won't be able to see this, but I'm putting my hand up to the face. And what it, what it basically showed is it's right there at all times. It's not mm. way over here and ayahuasca is going to throw the door open and mm. you're lost without, and it's going to take you all this and you need to go see a guru to find yourself and all that bullshit, which I've spent time doing. So sometimes you need to go through that stuff. I've hung around a lot of weird people in my 20s and stuff. And so at 30s and hell, some of my friends are weird. So, <laughs> uh, but I love it. Uh, so I, I have a lot of respect for it. And so back to the breath, there's a reason why the yogis and the kundalini and the yogi bhajans and all these people have come to go, it's about the breath. If you actually do it, and it's it's kind of funny that we got there through, it's performance, we're going to perform better. But in reality is it's that and a deeper sense of self. And it's just for me, I do it every morning. It turns my brain on. It it, it lightens up, you know, call it my pituitary. It, it, it keens my mind and it dries me inside. And I, from my point of view, if you don't, if you don't, do something like that every day. This world is just distracted in so many ways. And you'll just wake up one day going, who the fuck am I? You know? So I, I like to be very proactive now about who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, who am I hanging out with? What am I generating? What do I want to create? And what am I here for? At least in the way that I perceive now. And that's a, that's the thing that ayahuasca and people who have done it 300 times and stuff, hey, to each their own. But I see that as a, as a thing people are doing. I don't see it as a, I don't see it as an integration mm. often. Mm -hmm. But again, people are different, you know. But uh, for me, one time, a few times, showed me a hell that I would never wish, wish upon anybody. And so, yeah, I come into it with more respect. Yeah. But so I go back to the breathing. Yeah. I go back to the, the gift. The gift is breathe. Sometimes we've- And it's we, free we, and everyone yeah, can do man. it. <laughs> breathe through the nose and breathe every day and breathe consciously. And literally that, that book, Patrick McEwen is brilliant. You will love to, to know that information in that book and apply it because it's, there's no magic thing other than breathe through your nose. Hmm. So change your life. And it immediately turns into parasympathetic nervous system. And we're all run around in some sort of long-term fight or flight adrenaline situation that we have. You know, we have a 24 seven clock now, all the social media, all the, you know, if you don't, I mean, what happens when someone doesn't text you back? You're like, oh my God, it's been, it's been an hour. What are they doing? Like, we just don't have an off. You know, it's weird, right? Yeah. It's, up. it's actually fucked up. I was thinking about that. Well, you have to day. consciously intervene into this reality. 
you know, we, we have to step in and demand our own lives to be in a way that is functionally more balanced or we're just a part of it. And I know, and then you're busting your ass to pay for your, you know, your month's rent and, and you're just surviving it. Like, screw that, man. Mm -hmm. I want to thrive it. I don't want to survive. I want to know the rules. I want to play the game. Building a brand and like having to be connected and Mm -hmm. like kind of where do you draw the line? And as a entrepreneur, like create this like bulletproof mindset as you pave the way, but also not get too distracted by the demands of a publisher for your book or your social media manager for Barugas or whatever, or your person who's handling the YouTube channel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how do you set those boundaries? Like, as we grow too, we think about that a lot where it's just, sometimes we're a fucking slave to our phones and like, it's, it's a lot. And we don't realize some days like why we're tired and it's because we've just been on for the last 24 hours, you right. know? Yep. Yeah, I don't have an easy answer for that. You know, we're walking this line, this tightrope of, you know, it's it's an ebb and flow. Rest when you can, restore, recharge, relax. And then I know it's like, I'm about, I can't talk about the project right now, but I'm about to rip a big project right now. And I, and I take every opportunity to go back and hang with my dog and sit under the trees. And, and just because I know, I can feel, feel i can feel the the energy that's going to be required and i'm so and at the same time extremely busy right now in the preparation for it so it, it it's a weird thing but carving out like for me essential part of the day every day or else i'm out of my mind i'm not functional i'm a crazy person i have to sit two to three hours of I'm meditating. I'm doing some brain entrainment stuff. I'm writing, Mm -hmm. conscious writing. Like I've been doing that shit because I needed to, like, like needed to, like medicative necessary part of my spirit that I, I figured out a way to, open that up. And so I just have to. And so every day, regardless of the country, regardless of the thing, I'm up, I'm up at 3.34 and I'm doing my thing. That's just to be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and, And not just to be okay, but to thrive and stuff. So it's a, we have to find our own thing, but you're right. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's harder than other times. And yeah, you know, but, you know, we just have to do the best we can and drink good water and get good sleep and surround ourselves with good people and be willing to take a time out and know that your world's not going to fall, fall apart. Yeah. How do you manage to stay positive? Like... So because you're so traveled and you've seen so many people and you've seen so many experiences and as an example, you've seen indigenous tribes tribes be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. And when you, the more you travel and the more you experience, the more you see suffering, but you know, you also see more, see more joy on the other side, of course. Sure. Um, but then you come back to the United States and you see the way our, we have a relationship with food or we have relationships with 
certain things. And it's, I can imagine it being disheartening, you know, mm-hmm. when you've seen on the other side. So how do you manage to stay positive, but still integrate some of the lessons that you've learned on your travel? Uh, good question. I think uh, it, it is a constant muscle for sure. I just decided that and some somewhere in me that that's fuel for me. Fuel in the sense that, you know, we all want to, I mean, I don't know, uh, you want to change the world for the good in some way. I think if you dig deep, your being, your soul is good, right? And I'm kind of going back to my morning thing. Like if I work that muscle and start with gratitude and go through that exercise just like i pick up a dumbbell every day just like i brush my teeth every day if i and and it's seductive too it's seductive to be like oh shit like i can't believe this person i can't believe Mm. they're doing this thing next thing you know now you're in that energy man even if it's right even if that person is completely out of their minds wrong but it's all an exercise in, in mental strength. And I, I just work it every day, just like I go to sleep and I try to get my hours. And I, I don't think, again, I don't think there's a magic bullet, but I do know that I'm willing to work hard. And the biggest thing for me is when I turn over supplements or I turn, at least when I kind of the, the final straw for me was I saw a formula and I was like, oh my God. And then I saw like all this crap in it that I know are carcinogens and whatnot. And that it's marketed as completely, it's perfect. It's this, it's transparent, it's indigenous. It's all. And I was like, that's insane. And why am I seeing that? And why is it hitting me right in the face? Oh, I need to do something about it. So I take this on as fuel I take this on as like, who do I know that could help in this situation? What do, what could I, even if I can't do anything right now, what can I, what needle can I move forward? And then there's a magnetic field. I swear to God, there's a magnetic field that's created. And I feel so bloody fortunate. I'm just on the way over here in massive traffic. I'm on the phone with three people that three different conversations that if these things happen, when they happen, it will move the needle on helping the planet and, and helping people thrive. Like it just will. So that is what I put into it. It's almost like uh, someone starting a, a piece of art that they can't complete in their lifetime. Well, what's it about? It's a way of, it's a lot bigger than just the final piece of art. It's, it's tapping into the, the beyond. It's the rare opportunity of allowing yourself to go where time is less important, but you're also in the future of what you're doing. Because at the end of the day, I have to look at myself in the mirror. What am I doing to, to, to add to my life and to literally make it better? That's what I do. So when I'm in the Sahadu and I see destruction and thrashing of 
of things and a and a and a crying giant anteater running out of the forest, which we saw. It's devastating. It's fucking devastating. And indigenous people just completely out of their minds, spirit gone. It's fucking mm. devastating. And so so I go, well, guess what? You know what I know? I like that people like the taste of Barucas and it's nutritionally superior than it's just it's just awesome to be able to use it as marketing. But my reason, number one, I want to be able to eat Barucas for the rest of my life because I eat them like crazy. <laughs> but my biggest reason, this is me personally, is because I know it can change down there. And I know that we can plant in my lifetime, 20 million trees. So for me, that's the vibe that is real. It's real for me. And saying yes to it in the quantum entangled world, I know I'm improving the Sahadu even by saying yes before we even got the 20 million trees. So, so in my weird world, that helps. And I'm willing to take action on it because I'm a blue collar kid from Minnesota that was, you know, walking bean fields and, and throwing hay bales. I'm willing to work hard. I, I want to work hard for, for things that I care about. So. That's a good one. That's a really good one. <laughs> Last question from me before we talk about Verucas, but um, I'm just thinking about like, will superfoods ever be and I have a hope that they will, but how do you see them being more accessible to more people and you know, more affordable and trusted in the way in which they're sourced? Like, do you have like a vision? What does that look like? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, a, that's a big one. Because it just feels like, you know, the women coming from yoga in LA can just like pop into Erwan and get all these things. Yeah. And then, you know, you find yourself in the middle of America yeah, and they don't know what these things are. Well, I think there's a massive, how do I say it without like causing too much problems? Um, <laughs> Welcome okay. to my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I just got a visual of, it's awesome. Uh, I think, you know, you have pharmaceutical, you have AMA, mm-hmm. American Medical Association. You have huge interest. You have a you have a political system. You have an economic system that is hundred percent based in lies. Hundred percent. Like I just met uh, Dr. Paul Anderson, who is one of the first, one of the frontline guys lack of a better word, fighting the FDA on keeping our our medical freedoms or essentially our dietary food freedoms of mm. being able for you and I to go down and buy ashwagandha or buy vitamin C without a prescription from a freaking doctor who doesn't know anything about these things and are and coming from a pharmaceutical industry. This guy's going against it with decks stacked so against him. It's so in your face how crazy they they're not even hiding it when you have people sitting on boards of the fda that are being funded directly from their at their universities being directly funded by the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry 
trying to railroad us from not being able to have our own freedom of putting botanicals in our body that we've been doing for as long as we've been human beings. At least the archaeological is 60,000 plus years. And so this is a big deal. So I want to support every organization that's about the medical choice and the medical freedom and the dietary lifestyle freedom of that. So again, you align yourself with these kind of people and you figure out what's going on and the guy's fighting, you know, Monsanto. There's a great case that just, you know, whenever this is aired, but it, it came out the next, a guy, a guy, uh, one of the first cases, a guy directly got cancer from exposure to glyphosate. It was a 239, I think, million dollar case. He won. Yeah, I mean, they'll appeal, but the court said, yep, it's never happened. And now there's wow. going to be a train of people behind that. You know what I mean? So that's the matrix shit. Like, they're, it's plugged in and you've got middle America believing that, well, hey, you know, it's it's the doctors are got our best interests and and they don't know anything about actual preventative uh, care. So, you know, from consumer watch groups to, I mean, hell, blockchain is a disruptor. You know, free money exchange, uh, free information storing, uh, keeping the 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 hands away from the greedy the world you know mm. that kind of stuff that's that's in our lifetime that's disrupting the fabric of of this stuff so there's no easy answer we have we're in this massive situation and we just have to come together and you know the some of the fractions of us fighting between you know vegans and paleo and keto and all of this shit we got to stop you know like you know, wasting time, you know, fighting. It's kind of silly. But, and and really come together and start using our muscle for, mm-hmm. for kind of, because we agree mostly on things. It's just a few things that people freak out about and get religious over. So um, that's a personal choice. So don't make it, you know, don't make people feel bad about that. So anyway, it's a big, I, I don't yeah, have a clear loaded. answer, but yeah, it's loaded. That's as long crazy. as you give me hope. Yeah, that's crazy. There, there's all, there, man, there's, if, I'm, if I'm nose breathing, there's always hope. <laughs> if I'm, I'm breathing, man, I'm, so I'm, are fighting. We. <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting. All right, let's talk Baruchas. We've talked about them on the podcast before multiple times, oh, but yeah. I want to hear it oh, from good. the man himself. Mm. Um, why are they the healthiest so fiber? Freaking nut in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the when you start testing them, and you start comparing them to other things. You're like, if you, I know. She's just, she's looking at for all of you who she, she's looking, looking at the at back, the back, the back of the nutrients, and and it's so. And I'm crunching a nut. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> she's busting a nut on air. Um, <laughs> we had to have one of those in there. That's right. I'm surprised it was you. We were waiting uh, for the yeah. nut joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, yeah. said that's gonna be me. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, uh, it's kind of like it's. You know, it's, it's, your, the, it's your life pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just get nut, nut jokes all the time? Yeah. It's like the elephant nuts in there are in the, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So you from a from a macro perspective, you know, if you, you know, from from this perspective, from uh, it's got 
uh, you know, two to three times more fiber than any nut, which we're all lacking. Uh, and fiber and the microbiome, and you just do one little five-minute research on that, and you'll be like, holy shit, that's very important, right? So pre and probiotics. Uh, and then um, less fat calories, which which matters for some people, because let's be honest, some people can handle fat, some people can't. So not mm-hmm. everyone can thrive in a high-fat situation and all of that shit. So let's not get into that. So so from a calorie perspective, it's lower calories. And then from a nutrient density, it's just ridiculously high in uh, copper and magnesium and, and uh, calcium and, and, the, and, and the antioxidants. It's crazy. Uh, so for example, like the almond, it's, I think it's 374% more antioxidants than, than an almond. So you're wow. like, whoa, that's crazy. And we, we need the antioxidants from the free radicals and from the stress that's being like we talked about a little bit. Mm-hmm. So everywhere you can get food-based, natural-based antioxidants is just turning on anti-aging genes and helping wow. us thrive and all of that stuff. So, so, so all of those things combine to, to not only deliver on the best part of any nut in one nut sitting there with the most nutrients, uh, balanced macros and nutrient density from the micros and from the fiber and then antioxidants and then have it taste the way it does. It's kind of like, what? Yeah, how is this so how, good. How has this happened? I had a vision on the plane the other day when I was eating these. I was like, damn, these need to replace airplane peanuts. I know. Yeah, Without a doubt. Well, I have like a dream I'm that there's peanuts a. Peanuts are still on the plane. I'm surprised because of allergies. There's not supposed no to. Health. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say no healthy. Or, yeah, oh, no. on the plane. I know, man. Do you know what I mean? At I the mean, airport too. I try yeah. to fast anyway when I fly, but if I'm feeling a little nauseous, I, I eat a little something. Yeah. But I mean, why aren't we providing healthy food on the plane when know. we're like thirty-two thousand feet up in the air and our digestion's all fucked? Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. It's well, just that's my where, go-to. That's, yeah. That's it's where you so load good. up on the, is, 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 you're under a lot of stress on a plane. So you you definitely want to load up on good food. And mm-hmm. that's that's definitely a must. You know, and then and then as easily as going into the benefits of a wild collected food. How many times can you commercialize a wild collected food, right? Fantastic. What does that mean for those of our listeners? So wild collected food is it's not monocropped. Mm. It's not commercially grown. There's no pesticides, herbicides. There's nothing other than nature stressing that nut, which gives it its micronutrient strength and gives it its antioxidants and gives it its vitamin E and vitamin mm. C and, and all of these things. And, and it naturally falls. You cannot pick it early. It doesn't form. The nut's not formed. So you can't, like the indigenous, oh, go, go pick them. Go do it now before the harvest. You can't do it. There's no, there, the nut's not formed. So it has to fall. So naturally, when it's ripe and when it's ready, it falls to the ground. Wow. So then they go collect it. And there's no extra water. There's no irrigation. There's nothing. And when you compare that, to commercially uh, grown, transplanted almonds, for example, you have all the the you know this is the fun 
scary stat is that the water that all of LA uses per year is the same that the almond industry in California needs to grow the almonds. The same amount. Damn. Do you, do you think we have extra water here in LA? No. So instead of like limiting your shower and car washes, you should like be limiting your almond intake. Yeah. Or meat. That is fucked up. Well, and meat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, then there's that whole, that's yeah. that whole other conversation too. Yeah. But, but sticking with the Baruka story wow. for sure. I mean, we can... So you're so it's a wild collective. So when you're mm. wild collecting a food, it essentially you haven't had the generational turnover of a monocropped out of its normal natural state. Uh, and therefore you get a less optimized plant over time. That's just gonna happen. Uh, unless you're permaculturing, unless you're very aware of uh how to grow things in a in a somewhat wild controlled situation but this is completely wild collected wow. and the harvest season is upon us right now so it's it's vital that again we go out to the indigenous we make sure that okay looking at the market we 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 go back to these people and say listen collect as much as you want we're just very careful which fractions of people we turn on until we have a full understanding of the marketplace. Because we're just now, after two and a half years of working in Brazil and working out the the issues that they were losing this, they were losing this even in Brazil because they couldn't even make it sustainable in their own country. Mm. So we had to come in and go, what's the bottleneck here? Why is it so expensive? And they're, you know, you got the you've got a logistic nightmare of you're not, it's not a field that you go plow. It's it's a landmass the size of three states of Texas that you have to organize and you have to have trucks and locations and people you trust and you know, collect. What is it? If it's we by had, hand? Yeah, so it's by hand. And, cool. and one 25 gram fruit has <laughs> one gram of a nut inside. So for a $10 million business, for example, we would have to collect 300 million tons of fruit. And then we have to crack it in a landmass that's that, that big. <laughs> you crack it in a facility? By the hand. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I really crack, strong I crack guys every nut. <laughs> Um, you want to arm wrestle? Yeah. Uh, so he's got yeah. guns, guys. Well, well, that's that's the that's the gnarly thing. So indigenously, they used to take the fruit, which is why it's roasted too. By mm. the way, indigenously, you couldn't. It's too many anti nutrients, and they also don't. You don't eat it raw. You cannot. So indigenously, they used to take the whole fruit with the nut inside and throw it on the fire at night, and in the morning, it would be easier to break open, and then. The, the nut would be roasted inside and that's how oh. they would consume them. So then how they were doing it now when we show up, so they're cracking by hand with either machetes, rocks, uh, some engineers in the last 10 years created some hydraulic one that you put one per thing and it increased it a little bit. These people are like carpal tunnel syndrome. They got to crack all these. So we have initiated engineers around the world to literally crack our nut to figure out the best way because no machine exists to do this. It has to be completely started from scratch. 
to be able to crack this specific nut. It's nothing like a macadamia. It's different shape. It's like, it's completely different. So that's part of, you know, not to mention the infrastructure that we've invested time and money and resources and the people and all of that stuff. We've also had an engineering feat that we've had to surmount and overcome. And, and we've, we're close. I mean, we, we have stages exponentially greater and we have machines and all of that stuff, but mm-hmm. we're still, we're still pursuing more mechanization to speed it up even more. So it's all the stuff behind the scenes that, again, if you want to do it right, uh, and if you want to bring something out that doesn't exist, well, it's going to take some, it's going to take some work. So no one can really come in. You can't come in and kind of, you know, hey, let's do Baruka business. Good luck. Yeah. You can't put the trees in because guess what? The trees take 15 years to produce. So even if you tried to crop these things, which there's an argument you could do that, but you do it within the indigenous community of areas that were Mm. wiped out, uh, it takes 15 years. So it's not like you're going to go, good idea. You're going to wait 15 years to see if your crop works. So people don't want, you know, it it deters people that don't understand how to work in these conditions. Mm, It's the big practice of patience. (laughs) Comes full circle. It's like your house. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The house that I fought to get, which is mm-hmm. worth it. We're coming over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you guys should. You're, you're welcome anytime. 50 acres. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This mm-hmm. has been fascinating. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. <laughs> How can people find you? How can people um, get your book, Super Life? How can people find Barucas? Yeah. So Barucas.com, B-A-R-U-K-A-S.com. Mm-hmm. We're on there and on Amazon, the books on Amazon Great. and other locations. I'm still at superlife.com. We're redoing all that at the beginning of next year, but I'm still around. I'm still there. Social media, super life living, you know, just you know, playing the game. And around Malibu, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Darren, for coming on the pod. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks. Subscribe, rate, and review if you love this episode. Share it with someone you love. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. I love you guys. Bye. Bye. Right on. All right. That was so fun. So thank you, Darren. Really appreciate mm-hmm. you. And you can find him on Instagram at superlife is his handle. Yeah, I love following him. I want to steal. I know. <laughs> One steal, steal that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Review of the week. Almost 30 forever. Five stars. Highly recommend this podcast to women of any age. The topics are fascinating, holistic, practical, modern, well-rounded. This podcast is interesting, authentic, honest, clear, fun, enlightening, helpful, and loving. The community that has been created from these two women is real and exciting. Thank you so much for sharing goddesses. Oh, so sweet. Love you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thanks for writing your reviews there. We read everyone and we're really grateful for the feedback and for helping us bring on great guests every week. It means so much. Thanks for joining the secret Facebook group and supporting other women. Um, you can join the Facebook group subgroup in your city and you can join the hundreds of other women that are meeting up to work out, to volunteer, to do all of these great things. In 2019, we're going to be expanding the ambassador program so that we can help empower you guys to connect even more deeply. So cannot wait. And we're so excited to see you all tonight for our event with Heidi Stevens, Creating Your Vision for 2019. See you then.
Love you. Bye.